if you really push a functionalist, they will say a thing is what it does. Now, I, that's a little bit hard to swallow for most people. It's, it goes more easily, I think, to say, focus on the effect of something rather than the thing itself. So welcome back to Act Root to Fruit. My name is Marcel Tassara, and I'm uh, on a quest to, to see if we can start to think a little bit more functionally and uh, get into the roots of the contextual behavioral sciences and uh, um, move past some of the basics in, in ACT and FAP and all the CBS technologies. Uh, I see you grimacing there. So what am I... Oh, no, no, I'm just, uh, <laughs> that Hank Rob, he has funny looks. I don't know what it is about him. So, uh, so today I'm, uh, really honored oh. to be joined by, by the aforementioned Hank Rob, who's a, uh, psychologist out on the West coast in Lake Oswego. He's, uh, board certified in counseling psychology. I'm a, I'm also a counseling psychologist, Hank. Oh. And, uh. And behavioral cognitive behavioral psychology, peer-reviewed act trainer, and a fellow in the Association for Contextual Behavioral Sciences. So um, I, I think when I when I see you and uh, think of you, I, I one of the things I think about is you're you're one of the hardest working men in the blues. That's how I oh. I think of you. You know, I, I see your post in the listserv. Which if you're not a member of ACBS listening to this, I highly recommend checking it out. Lots of good resources and thoughtful dialogue and. And you're a, a real great contributor to these uh, these discussions. Thanks for thanks for joining me, Hank. Well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. How about we start with like what's the what's the best concert you've ever been to, Hank? Oh, this is a funny story because I hate big crowds like that, and I've never been to one. Huh. Really? Right. Okay. Uh, and and the truth is, it's not the crowds. Uh huh. It's the trying to get the car parked mm. and trying to get out of there. Okay. Should we just spend this hour, our time together, breaking that down functionally? Maybe? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it certainly is an excellent example of avoidance. Yeah. You, you don't want to have a certain kind of an experience. So you don't do things that would put you in contact with that kind of an experience. Yeah. And the thing is, the same principles have to do with experiences that are not so much outside your skin, mm -hmm. but experiences that are inside your skin. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be stuck waiting a very long time in lines to get out of a place. Yeah. But I might not want to feel afraid. So what can I do to avoid that fear? Yeah. Well, people have moves that they... Uh, may have been quite unawaredly developed and may even been quite unawaredly using. And the function of those things is don't come up against anxiety, mm -hmm. just as the function of avoiding big uh, concerts is you don't have to be in that line uh, trying to get out of the place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I think, the crowd thing is interesting because we've grown up in a society that tells us that we we should feel comfortable, 
you know, where, you know, uh, evolution kind of tells us that a big group of strangers isn't our friend, you know, and we're not, you know. Well, also, um, I think that it also relates to values because many, for many people, the like, you know, hour, hour and a half, two hours in a line of cars to get out of a place, the concert was worth it. Uh huh. Now, for me, no, I, I, now maybe it's because I've never been. If I had gone to one, I might yeah. say, oh, yes, sitting here in this car with the fumes and all the rest of it, uh, it is worth it. Yeah. But as far as I can guess, it, I don't think it's worth it, so I don't do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, you said something I want to go back to uh, in, in, in this kind of um, you know, internal environment that we experience and the external. One of the questions I've been, I've been posing and, and really enjoying to hear um, my, my guides through this contextual behavioral forest answer is, is do you, how important is it that we see this, this, these thoughts and these emotions as behavior? Yeah, I think I think that that is very useful. Uh, for for one thing, um, it helps us um, stick with the view that we're only going to uh, live in a world. Uh, we're only going to talk about a world. We're only going to consider a world that has one kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, those of people who've hung around psychology much, they've run into uh, Rene Descartes' famous uh, cogito ergo sum, I think, therefore I am. And then he tells us what the thinking stuff is spaceless, weightless, and timeless. Mm -hmm. And he compares that or contrasts that with physical stuff, which is exactly the opposite. Uh, Endures in time, takes up space, and has weight. And uh, so just to sort of avoid, well, there are two kinds of stuff. I think behavior is something that helps us, one, avoid that, uh-huh. And two, stop identifying human behavior as just something that goes on in brains okay. because it goes on in our gut and our spleen and it goes on in our entire body and it occurs in a context that uh, depending on what the world around us is like, depending on what our history is like, mm-hmm. um, it, uh, leads to very different behaviors, yeah. and so it it gives us uh, it gives us a way to talk about an important aspect of living beings without having to invent some other kind of stuff, and without driving everything into oh well that's your brain that's your brain that's your brain, I see. and leaving out your history, leaving out context, uh, leaving out all these other important variables. Okay. And, and how does, how much does that influence you when you're sitting across from somebody in terms of, um, how you, how you see and interact with them drinking a glass of water versus, um, you know, something going on inside them having some observable 
behavior versus you know private well it it i'm always looking at uh what's going on from the frame of people are doing things people are doing things that they have more or less awareness over they have more or less control over but it's all about they're doing things okay and they're doing things that's what's interesting to me uh my uh my younger daughter is uh, 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 in her second year of residency as a physician. She majored in chemistry, particularly organic chemistry. Every, everything to her is it's all chemistry. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it's pretty much all behavior. Now I'm 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 down with the chemistry. That's certainly a way to. That's certainly a lens or a. Uh, a set of glasses or something you can view things through. Yeah. But the one, the one that I'm really interested in is the lens of behavior. What are people doing? Yeah. 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 Okay. And if I ask you to, if I ask you to see uh, the face of your mom, can you do it? I can. Now, first of all, that means you have pretty good visual imagery. Mm -hmm. Not everyone does. Mm Mm-hmm. But what did you just do? Well, you, in my opinion, you just did a behavior. What you didn't do was go to some sort of card file in your brain mm-hmm. and dig up a picture that got filed there and and took it out and looked at it. Well, what would you have looked at it with? Oh, my mind. Well, what's your mind? Oh, well, it's that spaceless, weightless, timeless stuff that Descartes told us about and that when uh, when John Watson came along, as people say, psychology lost its mind. Uh, <laughs> American psychology stopped, uh, or at least one segment of it yeah. said, we're just not going to be interested in spaceless, weightless, timeless stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. It's, it's all going to be behavior. Yeah. And of course, that's the biggest contribution that Skinner makes is saying, well, just because only one person can make a report about it, just because it's private experience to you, doesn't make it any less behavior, mm-hmm. just more behavior. Yeah, I like that. I I had the image as you are um, definitely saying that, that um, like kind of like it's, it's, it's another appendage, you know, I've got this, this like another arm inside that, you know, goes and grabs stuff like, you know, um, and I don't know if that's, I guess that's maybe counter to what you're saying. Cause you're saying you weren't saying, you said it wasn't like I was going and, and. No, I know. did a behavior. I did the behavior of visualizing my mom's, my mm-hmm. mom's face. Yeah. Okay. Okay. How is that helpful? You think to act clinicians to. Well, then, then I can ask what are the conditions under which such behaviors occur uh-huh. and what are the effects of such behavior? And if I'm interested in thinking functionally, I'm going to pay a lot of attention to what's the effect. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the affect. <laughs> and the affect, because often affect is the effect. Ah, can you say more about that? Yeah. Boo. <laughs> now, if I did it right, the effect was affect. Okay. You felt a certain way. Mm-hmm. And the way you felt was an effect of some uh, behavior that I engaged in. And when I engaged in that behavior, what happened? A certain thing happened with you. A behavior occurred. Uh, A behavior that 
the startle reflex, you actually have a lot less control of mm -hmm. than a number of other things. But like, how do you respond to your startle effect? Well, it turns out you might have a lot more control of that, even if you have a lot less control of the startle effect. Okay. And again, you know, how you react to your startle effect. What's that? Just more behavior. <laughs> okay. More doing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and how do you, how do you start to get people to, to think functionally? What do you think is a, some ways that you, you see some tricks or maybe not tricks, maybe hard ways to, for, for folks who are, are working to, to kind of move past just the, the basics or the hexaflex enact. And by, by asking the question, yeah. well, what happens when you do that? Okay. What happens? Yeah. And that gets the focus less on the doing. The doing's important. Mm -hmm. But functionally, what's the effect? You're, you're speaking to a, a clinician who's trying to understand functionally they're they're doing in session i guess is what i'm hearing you say yeah yeah so when so when the person i'm sitting with does x whatever the x is mm -hmm. i can think of that as well what brought that about what did i do that produced that now of course this is why context is important yeah because when I'm sitting with someone, we're sitting in that context, but they bring their whole history into that context. Yeah. So there are things that are part of how is it that they are responding that way that are not just about me, mm -hmm. but I don't have any control over their history. Yeah. I, I might have some control over the situation. But I also have control over what I'm doing. And if I'm focused on, well, how is that working for our purposes? Yeah. And when I'm sitting with someone in, in well, in a lot of cases, not just when I'm working as a psychologist, but in a lot of cases, um, uh, what are we trying to do here? And if I can keep in view, well, what are we trying to do here? And usually in, in, in a consultation situation, it's for a person to live more fully, mm -hmm. to, to, to really experience the kind of deep, fulfilling um, uh, experience. Um, you know, I'm not just surviving, I'm really living, I'm really mm -hmm. thriving. Mm -hmm. That's the point of people getting together with somebody like me or somebody like you. Yeah. And then, well, okay, how, what, what's the effect of my behavior towards that? And of course, the towards that is really out there in their life. Yeah. Because whatever we're doing while we're sitting together, that's not the real aim. And the real aim is living a life outside of the consultation room that people find deeply fulfilling. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and I'm kind of a nutcase on that word fulfilling as opposed to meaningful because meaning is about relations. A is related to B, is related to C, is related to D, is related to E. And I'm not interested in that so much as I am whatever that last thing is. Because the last thing is, and man, that was way cool. Okay. And that, that doesn't mean anything. It just was way cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm much more interested in focusing on living a fulfilling life rather than living a meaningful life. Now, you can't really live a fulfilling life as a human being with language without bringing meaning into it because mm-hmm. we're languaging beings. Mm-hmm. So meaning is always there, but it's not the thing I'm mainly focused on. It's really okay. fulfillment. And there are two kinds. There are those kinds of, you might call them vegetable fulfillments that really sustain us. Okay. And then there are the kind of sort of cotton candy fulfillments that no matter how good they taste in the moment, they really don't deeply fulfill us. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions I had about the cotton candy and the vegetable situation is, I, I get the sense, Hank, that you are have this ability to say these things in a in a what present them in a simple way, but you're they're they're based on a thorough knowledge of a lot of things that are happening, and uh, you know a lot of sweat equity that was put into into your education. And um, so how, how important is it? Do, do you, A, I guess is like, do you see yourself doing that to, to kind of translate it to the masses or, um, and B, how important is it for, for us new learners to get into that, you know, the, the undergrowth of the cotton candy and the vegetable fulfillment directions? I, I happen to be, I think, just sort of lucky in that somewhere along the line, uh, uh, analogies were something that came to me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think like everybody, you know, some of us have more talents in one direction or another. Um, but, uh, a, a, there are a couple of things that I can remember from my history that were important. And, and that was, uh, I was trying to explain my dissertation to my wife, uh, way back then. And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And my answer at the time was, oh, well, she does, doesn't have the background. Yeah. Only later did I realize that's a dumb answer. <laughs> what it means is you're not being clear in your explanation. Yeah. Because the, the point is not to have this sort of be a member of some secret society. Yeah. The, the point is to bring whatever it is that you have to offer okay. out to the world. And the idea, if you can't explain it to a child, you don't, you don't know it well enough that there's a, that in the, in the, in that film, Philadelphia, the uh, Denzel Washington character is always saying, tell it to me like I'm a (laughs) four-year-old. And that's, that's a pretty good line. Uh Uh (laughs) Um, And when people have a choice between reading philosophy and reading a novel that illustrates the philosophy they always take the novel or i take it back 
they almost always take the novel. Some yeah. of us are kind of nutcases. We'll, you know, we'll go for the philosophy. But that's how people learn. People learn most readily by stories. Uh-huh. And stories are about things that we know that we then, that help us know the new thing. Okay. That's why, you know, uh, people who teach, they teach uh, I'm, I'm the great teachers of the age of the ages, they teach in parables, they teach in stories. Mm-hmm. They're not, uh, 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 you know, uh, technical philosophy is only for a few, yeah. but if you want to take it to the world, then you have to take it to the world instead of, Oh, the world. Well, they don't get it. Those dummies. <laughs> That's not going to help anything. <laughs> back to the, Back to the effect. Yes, back to the effect. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm following. I'm following. It might not look like it, but I'm following. Um, okay. Well, so, I mean, that does raise the question, I guess, and I, I really am interested in your opinion around, you know, what has, I think, been a kind of controversial thing between, you know, the the act made simple world and the, you know, no, you need to, mem- you know, really have the purple book memorized world. Yeah. And uh, that old line, it's not either or, it's both and. (laughs) (laughs) So you you mentioned, by the way, that you trained as a counseling psychologist. Yeah. And and that was one of my attractions about counseling psychology. What is what is psychological uh, consultation therapy? What's it all about? Is it about getting rid of the bad and then that's it? Or is it about the pursuit of something that is really worth doing in life? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the attractions, I think, that is a help if you, if you didn't get steeped in, well, what we're trying to do here is just get rid of the bad and then everything takes care of itself. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if you're more directed toward... How do you enhance life? How do you make it more a fulfilling, a, a really like, hey, it's worth being alive. You know, yeah. we're only going to be at the party for so long. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, man, when's the party going to be over? Because this is a drag. You know, <laughs> that's that's not going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, or you know, you know, I've been to parties that are worse. That, <laughs> that's so great. Yeah. Well, so so uh, maybe we could jump into. uh in a little bit of a real play that we had talked about earlier. What do you say? Sure. Yeah. Okay. And you were telling me that you were going to go on an adventure. <laughs> the, the adventure of giving a training. Yeah. Giving a training and, uh, you know, one of those uh, excitement um, things when you, when you sign up and then, and. Uh, well, and I called it an adventure because when you go on an adventure, you don't know for sure how it's going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And there's some sense of danger. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you uh, jump off a one story building, you don't know how that's going to turn out. You could walk away or you could break your leg. Mm-hmm. If you jump off a 30 story building, we know how that turns out. That's not an adventure. Uh-huh. And if you walk into a park in one entrance without any notion of what way you're going to exit the park, well, you don't know how it's going to turn out, but that's called a walk in the park. It's not an adventure. Mm. 
So now you have an adventure ahead of you. You're not sure if it's going to go well Mm -hmm. or poorly. And that having things go poorly, that's a sense of danger because danger really is stuff we don't want. Mm -hmm. And when you, when you can sort of recognize, well, danger is stuff I don't want. As soon as the thought about things that I don't want show up, then psychologically you're on the adventure because you feel afraid. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to getting prepared to go on the adventure, which in your case of the workshop means getting what I'm going to do together, the slides, the, the layout, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that without making psychological contact Mm. with the danger. Mm -hmm. So if you knowingly take a risk you feel the risk. Now, if you don't know what you're doing, it's all different. <laughs> if you knowingly take a risk, yeah. you feel the risk. And the name of that feeling is afraid. Nothing's wrong. That's how it works. Mm-hmm. The thing is, what do I do when I'm afraid? Do I try not to have it? Do I try to get rid of it? Do I try to go on an adventure? Yeah but not notice that I'm on an adventure. Well, yeah, for me, it, it's like I, it's, it's like a, there's like a little bit of a lie in there that I don't even acknowledge the afraidness. It just kind of like, Oh, this is uncomfortable. And I'd rather be, you know, on the beach. I'd rather be walking on the beach right now. You know, That's like, that's like we, I was having this discussion with someone, the difference between a physical therapist and a, and a physician that's giving you an, uh, a physician is the physician says you might notice some discomfort and the physical therapist says, this is going to hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, like you said, you know, telling yourself, oh, well, this is a little uncomfortable. No, I'm afraid. That's what's going on here. Now I, I might not be as afraid of, as I might be if a lion was in here, mm-hmm. you know, um, but yeah, I'm afraid. And that's just how it is to go on adventures because when you do something, yeah. uh, where there's a sense of danger, your alarm system is involved mm-hmm. and we feel afraid. Mm-hmm. So now what do I do, what's my, What's my response? What's my behavior yeah. in the context of being afraid? Do I try to avoid it? Yes. Well, I know how to avoid it. <laughs> yes. Don't work on the workshop. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the more I avoid feeling afraid, the closer that it gets to the workshop, the more afraid I am because I haven't done anything <laughs> to address doing the workshop as effectively as I would like. And this is actually the story of people who procrastinate. Typically, people who procrastinate, they are not the people who haven't done their taxes in five years. They are the people who you see on television at midnight driving up to the to the post box to put the thing in. Mm-hmm. They get it done at the very last minute, yeah. which usually means it's not their best effort. 
because their best effort would require starting earlier. Yeah. And so then they have this history of, well, when I do finally get down to work, it's not nearly as good as I want it to be, which then instead of saying, oh, well, that means it would be a good thing to start earlier. It's like, oh, well, I don't know why I want to do this in the first place because it'll just be disappointing to me when I do when I get the outcome. And it tends to feed on itself. Mm-hmm. And the the folks who haven't filed their taxes for five years are? I'm, well, <laughs> they have. That's not really procrast. That's not what I want to call procrastination. That's sort of, you, now we're more over into the area of denial. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I didn't get my taxes filed. Oh, what's the difference? I, I feel a sense of denial in, in you know, kind of recently just seeing how much of my procrastination has to do with anxiety. You know, I, th- I, I think I used to chalk it up to, oh, I don't, you know, I, I'll, I work better under pressure or just these kind of these lies that I. Yes. As I like to say, no, it's not that you work bun, uh, better under pressure. It's this just that you don't work until you get under pressure. Yeah. If you would start earlier, you would find that you worked fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, okay. So I'm hearing you say, I need to, I need to, I need to start by acknowledging what's there, acknowledging that I'm, I'm afraid. Yes. And, and why? Because that's how adventures work. If you don't know how it's going to turn out and there's some sense of danger, which is what it is to be on an adventure, then you will feel afraid to a greater or lesser extent, depending on the, how much you uh, estimate the danger to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause right now I would say the physical feeling has been one where it's like, I'm on a, those, those walkways, those moving walkways, you know, and I'm just feeling like the gravity of the weekend pulling me. And it's just like, uh, like, you know, like there's, 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 there's nothing I can do, you know? To, to... Well, and, and, and great, great. Because of course, well, I could feign illness. You know, you're a bright person. If you get to work on this, you can come up with some stuff, yeah, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could just storm the Capitol and get coronavirus, you know. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. You know, uh, or or you could yeah, uh, you could uh get drunk, you could use some other sets of chemicals, mm-hmm. you you could uh uh oh when I was in, in, in college, uh, I was not a very good student and I found ways to not be a very good student. Um, including I, I have a history of uh, difficulty reading Okay. and during exam weeks for a few years in college, uh, I was always able to say, Oh, well, you know, I read three novels lately. Uh, of course it was during exam week when uh, I should yeah, have been right. studying things, but Oh, I read three novels. <laughs> So there's a lot of ways that we can find, uh, and especially brighter people, they, this is the downside of being bright. You, you won't run out of ways to screw things up. Mm. You know, you won't run out of excuses. Mm-hmm. You know, I was too tired. I was too sick. I got, I, I, you know, it goes on forever. I, 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 well, let's have a fight with my mate. How about that? And then I can write it off to, you know, that so-and-so, if only they hadn't done that, my workshop would have been great. 
<laughs> so, so speaking functionally, uh, like acknowledging the purpose of my behavior and, and helping you're, you're helping me see what, well, and it may not have it, 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 see when, when you say the purpose, it may have been the effect, but it might not have been your purpose. See, cause purpose suggests an intent. I see. Now, the effect was I didn't have the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And and you might even say, well, my, but did you purposely do that in order not to have your anxiety? It, it doesn't feel like that from the inside out. It feels sort of like it just happens to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not and doing so it, it on purpose. It, yes. It doesn't feel like purpose, but it does have an effect. Okay. And so starting with effects, not saying this was your purpose, just sticking with this was the effect. Now that leaves open the whole issue of, well, you want to keep doing it because you, you could, you begin to raise through language. This is where the purple book gets useful. You begin to raise through language, the, the, the linguistic platform of choice. And as I'm fond of saying, that the basement of the house of choice is awareness. You can't make choices when you're unaware. Mm-hmm. All you can do is react. So the first thing you're trying to do is build up awareness. Okay. Habits are things we do quickly and easily and without much awareness. Yeah. So if you want to change a habit like procrastination, the first thing to do is to raise your awareness. And as you pointed out, Oh, when I start raising my awareness, what I'm aware of is I'm afraid. And I was kind of like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) I don't know what's happening to me. Oh, yeah, I do. I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you're a grown person. You're a a grown man and you have all these uh, degrees behind you. How could you possibly be afraid? What's wrong with you? Nothing. But if if you bring all that stuff with you and it gets in the way of being in contact with your actual experience, including your bodily experience, my goodness, you know, if you're alienated from your own sense system, sensing system, that's a tough thing to be alienated from. You know, it's only been around for beings for millions of billions of years. Yeah. And can you, so can you say more about what you mean by that alienation from the sensing system? Yeah, you know, you, 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 you know, I don't even know what my own experience is. I I can't Uh feel my feelings. Yeah. I mean, never mind. I can't think my thoughts. Mm -hmm. I can't feel my feelings. Yeah. Well, that's a tough place to be. Yeah. If you're going to be effective in life. And for a lot of us said that's been really beaten out of us. Yeah has not been something that we've been rewarded for in life. Well, and, and encouraged to have, or, or actually punished, you know, why don't you grow up? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, as if, as if growing up meant, <laughs> you know, you, you sort of were out of contact with the world and its effect on you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you get, if you, if you really grow up, you'll be like a robot. Nothing will touch you. <laughs> this is humanity. It's a funny idea of being a human being. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and especially our culture, 
I, I can't speak for for other places, but I, I think that our culture is uh, is we're we're definitely feeling the effects of the of of several generations of that right now. Well, and and I think if you sort of look sociologically, the the machine age meant human beings becoming appendages to machines. Mm-hmm. People don't like this. <laughs> I mean, they really don't like it. And, uh, well, how do we fix them so that they will? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, you, let's get some professions so that they'll like it, or at least <laughs> they'll put up with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There was a, one of my, one of my, I, I like, I like stand-up comedy a lot. I think they have a lot of uh, really. Smart that's the best, man. Just witty things to say to dissect our, 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 our craziness. And um, this comedian Doug Stanhope has this great bit on ADHD. It's like, well, you, you know, you've been, you file insurance forms forty hours a week, and you have trouble paying attention. Hmm. You know, <laughs> imagine that. Imagine. <laughs> So we should definitely diagnose you because there is surely something wrong with you. Exactly. <laughs> and and I think that you're now when it comes to technology, if we only were better at wielding humor, we would really be onto something. Mm-hmm. Because when people are laughing, mm. everything is different. Mm. Everything is different. Your defenses are down. Yeah. Yeah. I I uh I was this was a while back. Um and I was in my garage uh in some kind of snit because something wasn't going right. And my younger daughter, who at the time was probably twenty, she looked at me and she said, What you need to do is calm down. <laughs> and and even as I tell the story, I laugh again. Mm-hmm. And that was exactly what happened. I just broke out in laughter because, you know, first of all, your kid is telling you what to do. And second of all, you know, they're telling you in this way, what you need to do is calm down. And I just, and suddenly it was all gone. The snip was gone. You know, it was just a whole nother world. But we, that technology of, of bringing humor yeah. into the moment. Mm-hmm. is something that is, I mean, clearly some people will be better at it than others because people are more or less talented about one thing or another, yeah. but we don't even try to teach it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I, I really appreciate that, that point. I, Al Ellis, uh, it, it's kind of funny, the things that happen in your life, but, uh, I happened, I happened to watch a lot of television when I was growing up. And uh, there was a show called The Today Show, still on. Mm-hmm. And uh, back when Al Ellis uh, first published one of his very popular books around mm-hmm. 1960, he was on The Today Show, and I actually happened to be watching it. I, okay. And, of course, it was years later that it meant something to me. Yeah. And so they said to him, well, Dr. Ellis, what do you think the number one mental health problem in America is? And he looked right in the camera and said, over-seriousness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything is a catastrophe mm-hmm. if X doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, maybe not a catastrophe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I bet, uh... You were four insurance reports behind. It's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah, I might not get that spot at the front of the parking lot there that I was hoping for. You know, yeah. Okay. Why do you think? What do you think happened to to REBT? What? Like, why isn't it? Why didn't it oh. continue and grow and proliferate? Oh, I think there are two things. One is uh, Ellis was not uh, in an academic setting. Okay. He 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 worked as a private practitioner. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that just skews everything in a certain direction. Okay. And uh, he he was very much against sort of middle class mores, and the his language. Uh, offended people so okay. much that I think that it was it, it in the end it didn't help. Okay. He he used to say that uh, yes, it will put off all the people in my age group, but young people will like it and they'll be attracted. <laughs> so it's worth it because the future is with the young. Okay. And the other thing he said was. Even little blue-haired old ladies, they don't say these things, but they're thinking them. <laughs> it was it, it. My my small amount of uh, knowledge around it is it, it does um, feel like it was a lot centered around his personality and who he was, which. Yeah, and that was really a great thing, and I I would encourage anybody. Um, uh, to see whatever kind of thing you're trying to practice, see several people practicing it mm-hmm. because it will seem different in the hands of different people, even if it's exactly the same thing. Uh, there was a movie, I think the movie was called The Diary of a Mad Housewife, and it was in uh, mid to late 80s, I think. Yeah. And she goes to see a psychotherapist who actually was uh, an REBT trained woman in New York. She actually was. Hmm. And if you see the therapy sessions and you know, uh, REBT, you will see that she's doing it. Mm-hmm. She's doing REBT. It doesn't look anything like what Al does. It. Okay. Okay. So, you know, that's why it's useful to see, different people like for act because people have different styles and the one and and if you get you know oh well i have to look like steve hayes or i have to look like uh russ uh uh harris harris or i have to look like whoever it is yeah well no look at uh, look at a number of people and you'll see that it's the same structure but it's very different in the hands of different people and then then you can ask the questions well how should it look in my hands because i bring me to this and authenticity is not how well can i pretend to be someone else (laughs) that's not authenticity yeah yeah i it's I'm with you on that. Sir, I want to hear more about um, your, uh, what more you wanted to say about the, the B. One of the things that people who know REBT at all, they know that there's an ABC. Well, it's not the antecedent behavior consequence that uh, people are familiar from a more behavioral tradition. It's the uh, activating event, the belief, and then the consequence. So it's not activating event thought and the consequence 
And there's a big difference between a belief and a thought, a very important difference, I think. One of which is you can think to yourself, I'm a banana, mm -hmm. and you will not believe it. And I think you could think it a hundred times a day for a hundred days in a row, and you still wouldn't believe it. Yeah. And uh, in addition, if you are right-handed and you go to open a car door, you will reach out most likely and open it with your right hand and you won't have any thought at all. Like the best way for me to open this door is with my right hand. Mm -hmm. So about beliefs, you can say, well, you may say them out loud or think them to yourself. You may not think them, but someone else announces them and then you agree, oh, yes, I believe that. Mm -hmm. Or you can simply act consistently with it. You don't do any thinking. You don't do any agreeing. You just, your behavior is consistent with whatever the belief is. Yeah. Now, that's a little different than rule-governed behavior where, you know, how do I find the bathroom in this uh, conference complex? Oh, I look at this map, and, mm -hmm. and the map actually controls my behavior. <clears throat> so we're talking about behavior that's consistent with a rule as opposed to governed by a rule. Okay, okay. So I had, I had learned all that, and then I was stuck with, well, what in the world is a belief? What, what, what is that? Mm -hmm. uh, I know it's not a thought, but what is it? And that was the great, wonderful revolution of relational frame theory. Because relational frame theory talks not only about uh, relata and relations, mm -hmm. but the transformation of stimulus function. Yeah. When you have a thought you don't believe you're not having transformation of stimulus function. Mm -hmm. But when the functions transform, that's what it is to believe something. So now- Finally, I'm a banana. <laughs> there's a, yeah, there's a, well, <laughs> yes. <clears throat> and if you, if you look at um, what are uh, often now being called in the, uh, uh, United States uh, political circles, conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. that's exactly what happens. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. Oh, wait, it's really true. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and there's all kinds of behavioral implications because now the stimulus functions have changed. Mm -hmm. Things that didn't lead to one kind of, um, you know, bodily sensations and, and uh, uh, behavior, suddenly they do okay and uh that i think is the real uh key to seeing the transition not between you know it's thoughts that you want to dispute it's beliefs mm. because it's beliefs that are making the difference it's not the thoughts it's it's that these thoughts are being taken seriously if there are any thoughts at all, which there may not be, because I've already demonstrated believing something doesn't require thinking it at all. Mm. Uh, now, the thing that becomes interesting, too, uh, in that REBT tradition 
is, well, what do you do uh, when you've identified these beliefs that are not very helpful? Well, you D, you dispute. Mm. But that D could also stand for discern. You could discern that thoughts about things or discriminate aren't the things themselves. Okay. Sorry, I cut you off. The, can you say that again without yes, interrupting you, from this guy? You could, you could discern that the thoughts about things mm-hmm. are not the things themselves. Yeah, I mean, which that's, is that's what yeah. diffusion is. Yeah. And that's it. There you have, I think you're, you're saying something there, which um, uh, my friend Jacob Martinez recently brought to my attention from, from a conversation you, you two had around kind of the particulars around diffusion and, and something really important there that it's, it's not so much this dog that I'm diffusing from, I'm diffusing from the thought about the dog. Yes, exactly. Uh, if, if there was a dog present, um, well, you know, you may have thoughts about the dog, but the dog is right there. Whatever yeah. good news or bad news is available to dogs, it's available now because there actually is one. Mm-hmm. But a thought about a dog, while it may produce a transformation of stimulus functions, we feel good, we feel afraid, it might produce it. The thing that is producing it is a thought about something not the thing itself. That's what diffusion is really all about. It's not about whether or not a thought is true or not true. Yeah. A, a thought that's completely true is not the thing the thought is about. Mm. If, if you think, yourself, think to yourself, I have a nose, well, that's a completely true thought, at least from what I can see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and for myself, I, I've got a picture of myself here. So from mm-hmm. what I can see, I do have a nose. But my thought about my nose, well, that's not my nose. My nose is here. It's not a thought. And if I, and of course, the whole difficulty with language is it works. The whole thing works by treating one thing as if it were another. Mm -hmm. So typically language is going to work by treating the thought, I have a nose, as if it were my nose. But there are times when that's not helpful. Mm. And also, if you make the D stand for discern, then one of the things you want to discern is, what's the wisest way for me to handle this situation? Because there are a lot of things, to use ACT language, there are a lot of things that work in the moment, but not in my life. Mm. And discerning that uh, difference is a really important thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm not trying to pour, I'm not trying to say that uh, ACT or uh, CBS or any of this is, is old wine in new bottles, not at all. Uh, but I am trying to demonstrate uh, a little bit of the link that helped me move from one to another, uh, a, a question that I asked over and over and over again and couldn't get an answer until RFT provides the answer. Okay. And you, so you're really distinguishing, you don't see a belief as a kind of thought. No, because you can think a thought. I mean, I already gave you a thought, you know, I'm a banana. You just think it all you want, but you don't believe it. Okay. All right. It's kind of like the, kind of like the, the three frogs on the log and one decides to jump off question. Oh, I don't know this. You know, how many are left on the log? 
after after one jump decides to jump off. I'm going to say two, but no three. Well, he just decided he didn't do anything. Oh, I see. He decided to jump off. Yeah. Yeah. Meaning thoughts are not actions. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I thought about doing in my child in the bathtub. And that's a terrible thing because it's the same as doing my child in. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really have to control my thoughts. Well, no, you really don't have to control your thoughts. If you want to act safely around your child, you have to control what you do with your hands and arms and feet and mouth. Yeah. And fortunately, we have a lot more control of that than we do of our thoughts or often our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, okay. Okay. And so how how what's the utility in 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 me as a clinician making this distinction do you think in working with with people uh making the distinction between beliefs and thoughts well then you you can you can sort of have this little sequence what am i noticing because we can be noticing all kinds of things mm -hmm. how seriously am i taking it because believing something, that's taking it seriously. Okay. And, you know, now we've left the world of thoughts and beliefs and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. We're using some language that I think can be a lot more helpful than talk about beliefs or thoughts or any of that. We can talk about, well, what are you noticing? We can notice all kinds of things. You can notice thoughts. You can notice feelings. You can notice other people. You, it's all kinds of things that can be noticed. Mm -hmm. And then... How seriously am I taking it? Because we can use some kind of choice in how seriously we take things. We have some control, not over so much maybe whether we notice it, although, you know, if it's something in our viewing uh, uh, realm, I mean, I could look over here and stop noticing it because mm -hmm. I've now moved my head. But whether I notice it or not, I do have a lot of control over how seriously I'm taking it. And then the third question, how's that working? That discernment piece, looking into, well, how helpful or not very helpful is taking this particular thing seriously when it comes to the big picture of the life that I'm interested in living. Okay. Okay. Ah, oh, interesting. The REBT, you didn't, you didn't leave it in the, I, I get a sense that it's still very much a part of your, your work. Well, well, it was, you know, there, there were a lot of things uh, in it that I found that were, were very useful. And especially that concept that I was yeah. talking about in the beginning. Yeah. Don't bother disputing thoughts, thoughts. That's a waste of time. That's a, yeah. that's a misunderstanding. Yeah. What you want to pay attention to is, well, what are people believing, not what people are thinking? Ah, okay. Okay. And of course, that's a very I different approach yeah. Yeah. than people typically get from the Beckian cognitive therapy approach, mm -hmm. where it's, mm -hmm. it's all about thoughts. And, and, and finally, finally, uh, people using that approach finally kind of found themselves driven to talking about schemas because there was a whole lot of things that were effectively beliefs that no one was thinking. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, so then you have the whole schema theory uh, wing of that approach because eventually you run into the fact that people do take things seriously and they're not thoughts. I appreciate that perspective. It's, it's, it's a helpful one to, to, to think about for me in terms of, uh, 
helping people discern, you know, which ones are the are the stickiest ones and, and how much they are, how serious the, the, the serious question and the, the seriousness is, a, I think, a real interesting avenue to consider. Yes, and it's, it's often the case when you're well practiced at taking something seriously, it's, it's not just like that, that you can stop taking it seriously because you're well practiced at taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. That, will, that helps bring in all the things we know about learning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead of seeing people as uh, broken or sick or ill or some, you know, some bunch of metaphors like that, then you start seeing, oh, well, this is mistaken, uh, which is a whole different thing than being sick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, yeah. One of the things I, that was very helpful from my beginnings in REBT was it was really a philosophic outlook. In other words, it, it's about how do I live well, not about am I well versus sick. Mm-hmm. It, it's about, it's about uh, couching what you're doing in the language of wisdom, mm-hmm. not in the language of health. Yeah. And of course, uh-huh. there's there's no DSM for foolishness <laughs> yet. <laughs> well, we well, I mean, we do have it, it go all the way back to Greek uh, plays, and they'll give you you know a pretty good idea of what some foolish things are, like mm-hmm. thinking you're bigger than the gods. That'll be give you trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but um, uh, it's it's a whole different flavor, and I think it's much more consistent with uh, with ACT uh, and the whole. Uh, contextual behavioral science movement what's going on here is how do we live our lives well how do we thrive uh, rather than merely survive Mm -hmm. well that's not just about you know am I in relatively good physical condition it's about a whole lot more than that Mm -hmm. so moving away from that uh, wellness illness model to uh, wisdom, not so wise model, I think would, is very helpful. Yeah. And, and I already had that, that kind of orientation because I came to act through REBT. Okay. And, and, and what do you believe? (laughs) What do you believe? How serious do you take, uh, (laughs) the need for, um, act and CBSers to, to let go of mentalism? Well, first of all, we have to understand what is meant by the word mentalism. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by that? That there's kind of uh, this, this, what happens inside of me is unique and particular and kind of separate, I guess, in a sense from what's happening outside of me, or it's, it's its own kind of, it's its own kind of entity. It's, It's not. Yes. So I think now you're talking about the dualism that uh, Descartes, for example, was yeah. a, an exponent of. There's two kinds of things in the world: uh, mental stuff, which is spaceless, weightless, and timeless, and there's mm-hmm. physical stuff, which has weight and takes up space and has time. Yeah. Um, you know, he it, the, things get interesting when uh, the physics of little tiny things show up. But but for his day and time, yeah, that was good enough. Yeah. And I think I think that is the whole uh the uh it is important in my view to give up 
these kind of fundamental dualisms. Okay. Um, I think, uh, you know, there is one world and, and whatever the stuff is that it's made out of, and I'll, I'm, I'm prepared to just let that hang because mm -hmm. trying to figure out, well, what's, what's the stuff it's made out of? What is it really? Mm -hmm. People have tried that for a very long time. It doesn't seem to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but the, the notion of uh, monism, whatever kind of stuff there is, there's just going to be one world and mm -hmm. everything is going that we're going to deal with is within one world. So you can be a ontological, you're not going to give any discussion of what the nature of the one world is, but giving up dualism, I think, is a really important move. And, and why? Why is that important for someone who wants to be uh, proficient and precise with acts, let's say? Well, because you've got to keep translating all the time between the spaceless, weightless, timeless world and the, the space and weight and time world. Okay. And why do things that are harder rather than things that are simpler? Okay. But yeah, now, I mean, coming from, you know, you know, the, all of us who have grown up in this kind of dualistic, colloquial yeah. speaking world, it is difficult to think of things as as one. <laughs> well, it, it is kind of tricky, although, um, um, you know, I don't think, uh, I don't think the thought system uh, that you find historically in uh, India has much trouble with it. Mm. You know, you, mm -hmm. things, these things pass back yeah. and forth and, and, you know, uh, it's all one stuff and, you know, it just manifests in different yeah. ways. Well, but in, in, I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if you're sitting across from me and I'm a client and I'm saying, I don't know, I just did it cause I wanted to, mm -hmm. you know, um, well, do you know what that means? I've done things just because I wanted to. <laughs> but I guess I'm trying to get at the, the utility of somebody uh, really buying into the kind of behavior, behavior relation approach. Uh, the... Well, I, I think the, the, the only difficulty with behavior, behavior relations is whether or not you can get any control. And until you find ways, if, you know, if it's behavior, behavior, but you can't control behavior, mm -hmm. then you're out of luck. But if, let's say, um, let's say I can, I can take seriously the notion that taking something seriously is a behavior. Mm -hmm. If I take, that's a behavior. Mm -hmm. Well, do I know anything? Can I do anything about uh, getting getting someone to take something less seriously? Well, the usual move is to try to convince them that it's not true. Yeah. You know, that's what the usual disputing is. It's yeah. not true. And then if it's not true, they don't take it so seriously. Kind of what like I was trying to do before we started recording with your QAnon fascination, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, but also, I, can, uh, I could also make the move that uh, this thing, whatever it is, this thought, this word, this whatever, it's not the thing that the thought or the word is about. And so don't treat the thought or the word, don't take it as seriously 
as the thing it's about. Now, that's another way to help people change how seriously they are taking something. Yeah. Can you say more about that? Can you can you break that down a little bit more? Sure. Um, uh, do you drive a car? I do. Okay. So uh, uh, is it true that when you drive a car, there is some chance you will be in a wreck? Yes. Okay. Maybe a small chance, but yeah. there's some chance. You mm -hmm. agree with that. Okay. So um, I'd like you to think this thought. When I drive my car, there is some chance of my being in a wreck. It's kind of a long thought, but are you mm -hmm. thinking it? Yeah. Okay. Is that thought true? Potentially. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's Cause, true. Because it's, yeah, it's about a potential. There's some chance. Yes. Yeah. Right. Now, is that thought, is that true thought, is that thought the chance of you being in a wreck? Or does the chance of you being in a wreck somewhere out on the road and what's in your head is a thought. B. Yes. So if you want to do something about changing your chances of uh, being in a wreck, when you get in the car, you put both hands on the wheel, you keep your eyes on the road, not the mm -hmm. bluebirds flying around. You pay some attention to those signs they put up there. They don't put them up for nothing. Mm -hmm. Those are, you can butt, buckle your seatbelt. That won't help you from being in a wreck, but it mm -hmm. might help you if you get in one. Yeah. But those first three things are all things you can do to affect the probability of being in a wreck. But there is no point in messing around with your thought because that ha that is not the chance of you being in a wreck, mm. even though the thought is true. Yeah. So what are we trying to do here? We're not trying to get you to stop taking seriously the sort of truth value of the thought. We're trying to get you to recognize that there are some places to put your efforts that are going to pay off a whole lot more than others. Mm -hmm. If I want to reduce my chances of being in a wreck, pay attention to what I'm doing here. Don't spend a lot of time trying to fix my thoughts because yeah. that's not where the issue is. And so, a lot, a lot of people are coming to see us because they're under the mistaken impression that the trouble is their thoughts. They need to fix them. Mm. Mm. So can we translate that a little bit to some, uh, uh, an example I'm thinking of here? Go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm a single, I'm a single guy and I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm never going to find anybody. I'm never going to, I'm never going to, I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. I'm, I suck at relationships. And so, um, I'm, you know, for all these reasons and, you know, too short, I don't have enough hair on my head and, um, I'm all these. So let, these let me ask you something. Yeah. Let's say you get to be 90 you know, we're, we got some pretty good medical care these days. Good yeah. You could live a long time. Mm -hmm. Let's say you get to 90 and you never find a mate. Mm -hmm. Now at 90, would you rather the situation be, I never found a mate and I never 
put in much effort to find one? Or would it you rather it be, I never found a mate, but I worked as hard as I could possibly work to get one? Mm. Which one of those would you prefer? Uh, the latter that I, I, you know, I put in effort. Okay. Yeah. Then, since that's the, that's the end point you would like, yeah. then the best thing for you to be doing now is putting in a lot of effort to get a mate. Okay. Right? Yeah. Now, when you take, and not just notice, but I mean, when you take very seriously I don't have any hair on my head, and that means nobody will go for me. Mm -hmm. When you take that very seriously, does that help you look? No. I mean, it helps me look in the mirror at my bald-ass head. Yeah, but it doesn't help you get out there and hunt for a potential mate. Yeah, yeah. Then how about you work on not taking it so seriously? It, it may be completely true, yeah. but it's not helping you to take it seriously mm -hmm. for the purposes that you have, which, which are, in the end, if I never get a mate, I at least want to know I gave it my best shot. Okay. And are you, are you that explicit with clients that let's help you not take it so seriously? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because then... I mean, I'm that explicit because if you're not very explicit with folks, they're not going to sign on. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. Because what am I get? What is, what's this weird show we're in? I'm involved in here. What are we doing? Yeah. It, you mean the whole nature of, uh, of relational framing is about sense making and, and doing things that make no sense to people are very unlikely. Hmm. Yeah. Even, even if you take a chance, it you have to go with, well, it makes sense to take the chance. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I might say it this way. Knowing what to do isn't doing it. Mm -hmm. Now, it often helps if you know what you're trying to do. That will often help you. Yeah. The mistake is to think it's the same thing as actually doing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's that story that you told about the three frogs. Yeah. You know, one decided to jump, which, which I took to be decided was an action word. Yeah. But it was actually just a thought word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where language like, well, in my mind, I thought of, you know, in my mind, I made a decision. Well, you know, that doesn't wed us to a theory of spaceless, weightless time stuff. It's, it's just a convenient way of speaking that helps us differentiate. I think it would be a good idea versus I actually took some action. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. That's, that's very helpful. I think, and, and a nice, a nice, uh, nice um, summation of, of a lot that we covered in our time together. Great. Are you actually mate hunting? No, I'm, 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 uh, I'm happily ever after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One of, one of the things I, I'm just, just to play with that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I often say to people is if, 
how many people like chocolate and vanilla ice cream? The answer is a lot. Mm -hmm. How many people like uh, licorice ice cream? Not, Not so many. many. Yeah. Does that mean that licorice ice cream is bad or wrong? Just no. means not a lot of people like it. Yeah. Yeah. If you are licorice, there's a lot fewer people to draw on. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have to hunt a lot harder than if you were chocolate or vanilla. Yeah. That doesn't mean you're wrong or bad. Yeah. Now, it, it does mean you're less desirable because <laughs> you're not chocolate and vanilla, which yeah. is, they're highly desirable, uh -huh. right? But that's just one of the facts in life yeah. that you could make peace with. You know, isn't it too bad that I'm not more sought after? Well, yes. I mean, why not? <laughs> I love that. Right. <laughs> Turn, turns out you didn't get that. And so uh, let's really get busy now looking for uh, licorice lovers mm -hmm. because you're only looking for one because you're 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 often i'm dealing with people who want to deal with monogamous relationships mm -hmm. you know if if they wanted more than well okay well you know <laughs> they're, they're hard to find getting two or three could be <laughs> more, could be tougher you know well, the internet helps these days with that that's right <laughs> because it does something about the sorting process yeah yeah. And, and if, if you're, if you, if it's a low frequency thing, you got to throw away a lot before you find a winner. Mm -hmm. And so the sorting process has got to be ruthless. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's often where, you know, people don't pick candidates. They just take somebody who is not really a candidate who ought to be, you know, move on. That's not a real thing. And then they spend a lot of time with, you know, people who, yeah, marginally, I like licorice sometimes, but that is not who you're looking for. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, and that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. There was something too I wanted to ask you about. Uh, we were in a, this, I don't know what what um, presentation it was, this last Worldcon, but you are a participant and you brought up this, we, we were talking about, someone was talking about triggers and you had some really interesting things to say about triggers that I, I thought was I can't remember exactly what it was. Oh, I'm sure that it was about invitations as opposed to triggers. It seems to me that whoever it was that invented that uh, phrase just had never spent any time with firearms. Because if, you, if, if the gun is not on safe and you pull the trigger, it's going to fire. Yeah. So it's, you don't have any say about it. Okay. But if you think about an invitation you do have an opportunity to say, yes, I accept your invitation or no, thank you. Okay. Now I'm, when I say accept your invitation, I don't mean, uh, uh, or when I say no, thank you, you don't have to say no, thank you. You worthless SOB. Why did you ever send me an invitation like uh -huh. that in the first place? Uh -huh. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> I happen to have grown up in Dallas, Texas, uh, a long time ago when uh, uh, the cultivation of uh, uh, cultured behavior was part of school. Okay. And so a part of learning to write, one of the things that you practiced on was writing a note of declination. Mm. Uh, mm. Dear Mrs. So-and-so, thank you so much for your invitation. Mm -hmm. I greatly appreciate the consideration that you extended me. However, I will not be attending, you know, like that. Mm -hmm. 
And so I like, I, I think the idea of being invited toward a response rather than being triggered can be a lot more useful. Now, I'm willing to grant if I say to you, Jack and Jill went up the, you probably heard Hill if you've got the mm-hmm. history that I'm guessing. So, okay, I'll, I'll give you, there are some sort of automatic responses, mm-hmm. but, but there are responses that we have a lot more choice over. And when we talk as if we don't, then we don't notice that we do. And we don't spend any time making any effort to, uh, to take advantage of those choices. Okay. Okay. And if we were to, to jump into the nitty gritty of that, like, are, are you, how would you like conceptualize what's happening in that functionally? Well, I think if you really push a functionalist, they will say a thing is what it does. Now, I, that's a little bit hard to swallow for most people. So uh, it's, it goes more easily, I think, to say, focus on the effect of something rather than the thing itself. Okay. So um, if you and I were in the same place, and I pulled out a pistol. I'm thinking of that because we were talking about mm-hmm. triggers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and your efforts last week in Washington, too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Got to keep it top. Not, top, top not mine, not mine in particular, but someone's. <laughs> the efforts in Washington. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, then the effect might be that uh, you're afraid. So when I ask about the function, the function is you became afraid. Now, I could talk about the, the weapon. I could talk about my intention. I could, you know, I could, I could focus on a whole lot of things. But... Mm-hmm thinking functionally is about thinking about effects what happens uh and it you it's typically time what happens after x yeah and yeah. i'm not too involved oh let's look carefully at x and you know what color was it oh it was kind of gunmetal blue and it was a revolver you know it had a thing it went around as opposed to an automatic or semi-automatic pistol, or, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm, I'm not so interested in that as what was the effect. So much of what I'm after is like thinking about like a functional assessment and, and how that, you know, like, like for someone like yourself, how, what that, what that looks like and how, how you are going about kind of um, whittling away at, at, at that process of, of, of what someone gets that, what the effect of, you know, um, would you be willing to say some more about that in terms of when you're, you know, working with someone or just like now when we were talking about my procrastination, how you, how you go about that in, 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 in being tactical in your approach? Well, 
recently I, I have begun to think about three questions that might be pretty useful to keep in view. And one is, uh, what are you noticing if I was speaking to someone or what is being noticed? Yeah. Um, um, how seriously are you taking that, the thing that's being noticed? And how's that working? Okay. So what are you, what's being noticed? How seriously are you taking it? And, and how is it working? How is it working? In terms of taking it as seriously as you are, because taking it very seriously might not be working, mm -hmm. but not taking it very seriously might not be working either. Okay. <laughs> you know, like that, that deadline you were talking about this, this workshop, the time for this workshop is coming. And, you know, that feeling of being on the moving uh, uh, walkway, like in a, uh, an airport or a big mall, I guess. You yeah. know, you can, I feel myself being pulled toward it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, you know, la, 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 la. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. up in the air. <laughs> I'm not taking it very seriously. Grinding and it, it's not helping. Okay. So. What am I do is, is what I'm doing in relationship to this whatever I'm presenting, helping. Yes. What am I noticing? Because, well, you know, I seem to be noticing this. I'm noticing that. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot of other things you could be noticing. What's up with noticing this? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, how serious are you taking it? Get some kind of evaluation. Yeah. Seriously, not very seriously. So well, if I would say, well, I've been noticing this for 10 years and I don't do shit about it. Yeah. And how's that working? Well, I mean, I, I am able to live pretty comfortably, so it's not, it's okay. You know, that's right. I'm, I'm willing to get by yeah. this. This reminds that one of the things that came to me in college was, um, I, uh, uh, was always by, by, by never working very hard. I could always tell myself, well, I could do much better. See these marks I'm getting? I could do very much better if I really worked at it. Yeah. But if I really worked at it, I would. I was opening myself to the possibility of, if I really worked hard at this, I could still do lousy. <laughs> so uh, as long uh, as I don't work very hard, uh -huh. the story of, well, if I really worked hard, I could do better, that story would stand up. The only way that I could really improve my performance was to work hard and risk. Well, maybe I won't be very good at it. Mm -hmm. Even my best efforts might still be lousy. But it was only taking that risk. Well, let's, let, let's find out. Let's find out if my best efforts are still lousy. Okay. That's the only way I could find out what my best efforts looked like. Okay. And like you, like you say, I've been doing this for 10 years. Well, the only way to find out how good a workshop you can give, which may not be very good, <laughs> is to stop doing this procrastination and go on the adventure of how good a workshop can I really give if I put forward my yeah. best effort, Yeah, which is a little bit scary yeah. because you want to really give a good one. Yeah. 
Well, and, and that's where the, there's some fear there about this, like where this, the other side of that, where it's like, oh, it's got to be perfect. You know, it's, it's got to be, you know, like I, I think back of lectures I've given and judgments I have about myself for, you know, not being prepared enough and, and, you know, not feeling, not liking how I felt after <laughs> and during this, this presentation. And, uh, you know, I, uh, there's this other part of me that's like this control part. This it's got to be, you know, it's got to be a, you know, I've got to have like, you know, everyone want, has to come up to me afterwards and ask for my autograph. Basically, yeah, that's exactly what I want too. <laughs> <laughs> did did you ever play baseball at all? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever swing and hit the ball and just really just knock it way out of the, mm-hmm. I don't know, out of the park, but just yeah, nice. yeah. You got a good good hit on it. That's that's what I want every workshop to feel like at the end. I was like, bam, I just knocked it out of the park. They're and, not going to ever have to read anything again. Right. And, and they'll be like, no one will leave the room. They'll all be <laughs> wanting to stay after because because no matter what comes after my stuff, you know, the fact that they were where I was, this is like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. 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 Well, it turns out I don't get those very often. <laughs> And, 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 and my wife will often say to me, she says, Oh, well, you're just a perfectionistic nut, but no, if, if you have high standards, if you have high standards, what that means is usually you're going to fail Hmm. because if you, if you, at least 51% of the time, if, if you keep meeting the standard and you think of yourself as having high standards, you just raise them. You know, I have high standards, which I meet all the time. No, I'll just raise them. Mm. So if you're going to have high standards, learn to fail gracefully. Yeah. Because those hard landings, they're very hard on you. Yeah. So I don't knock it out of the park all the time. It is what I'm after. And if I don't knock it out of the park, well, I don't. Mm Mm-hmm. It's, it's bad. It's too bad, but that's all. Yeah. It's just too bad. Okay. I appreciate that. Now I could blame and condemn myself, but I have tried blaming and condemning and it turned out it wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Have, have you given it a run? Uh, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. How, <laughs> do, do you think you need more experiments? Uh, I don't know. I, I, yeah, there's my, you know, my mind pops up there with like, well, apparently you do. Yeah. Because it hasn't worked very well yet, but surely it's because I haven't done it hard enough or often enough. Exactly. exactly. Well, go ahead beat yourself up some more. And just, by the way, check into the history of blame and condemnation amongst the human beings across Mm -hmm. history and you tell me, what do you find? That blame and condemnation has been really helpful to people? <laughs> but maybe it's just you. Normally it doesn't work, but for you, yeah, you're a yeah. special case. Yeah. So you try it a lot because it's really going to help you. Yeah. Okay. So as we, as we wind down here, Hank, I'm, I'm sensing that you use a lot of irreverence in, in your clinical work and, um, and yourself, obviously a lot of yourself and, um, and getting at me to think of, and I mean, could you, could you talk a little bit about your approach and what just happened 
Yes, and this this sort of brings me back to uh, to Al Ellis. Uh-huh. Uh, I, um, I I don't want to go too much in the weeds, but when cognitive behavior therapy first kind of showed up on the scene in my life in the in the at the end of the seventies, yeah, uh, people referenced Al Ellis, so I was able to go see Al, and one of the things that he said was that he attacked people's ideas, but he didn't attack them. And of course he did real plays all the time as demonstrations. Mm -hmm. So I went around and I asked people afterwards who'd been on stage with him, did you feel like he was attacking you or did you feel like he was attacking your ideas? And they all said, I did not feel like he was attacking me. I felt like he was attacking my ideas. Uh, and of course I could have written it off to, well, there's various factors cause they were up there and they don't want to say, you know, blah. but I took them seriously. Yeah. And, and this idea of sort of, um, this doesn't help me, but let's, let's start do blaming and condemning. Mm-hmm. But let's change this, this way of going about life in the world. Yeah. Um, it turns out irreverence can be very helpful about, let's not take that too seriously. Yeah. Again, humor can be very helpful, not because you're making fun of the person, but you're making fun of an approach to yeah. life. And then when people are laughing at the approach to life, they are open to, well, if that's not working, what might work better? Because that's really what you're after. You're really after, well, let's try something that works better. I think that's what creative hopelessness is about. Creative hopelessness is about, thank goodness I don't have to keep that up anymore. Well, as soon as you get to, Thank goodness I don't have to keep that up anymore. Oh, well, what could I do? Yeah. And the, and the creative hopelessness doesn't have to be a grim affair either. No, it's, it's open. Did you ever have somebody who you were pursuing romantically or that you carried a torch for and then you realized it's never going to happen? Yes. Yes. Likewise. And, and, you know, it kills your heart. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing is, oh, look, what I have freedom to do other things with my life. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the creative part. That's what you're looking for. Okay. It's not, it's not the, what, what's hopeless is continuing something that doesn't work. Yeah. yeah. And the creative part is now that I'm not doing that, you know, the effect, the function, the function of giving up something that doesn't work is now you're open to something that might. Now, we don't know for sure if it will. That's yeah. the adventure. But we know for sure this thing isn't working. Yeah. And now I can, I can pursue something else. Okay. Beautiful. Well, uh, thank you, Hank. I know you have to pursue another appointment that you have in a few minutes here. So I'll... Um, well, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciated spending time with you. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, me too. I I, I really uh, enjoyed your your approach and uh, style, and um, I will put a, a link below in the show notes for your website. Um, I know uh, 
good friend who's who's leaned on you heavily over the years who who's rarely enjoyed that uh, consultation relationship and so um Thank you.